Are we live? We are. Are we live? This is Steve Conti. Welcome to Game Changers with Vicki Abelson. God, I didn't even tell you. Oh, this is Steve Conti. Look, oh my God. Facebook just does, they double the sound. Wow, that's annoying. That's crazy. Well, you have to mute Facebook, I guess. Well, no, yeah, I did mute Facebook. This is crazy. Okay, so I don't know. Uh, let's see. We're so still live, know. people, right? We are still live. And a few people have found us. Hi, Tova. Um, but I'm going to go look for people. I'm going to go get them. But before and, and I... would you expect me to entertain the people while you go <laughs> and... <laughs> I'm going to go out on the street and I'm going to start yanking people. What am I, an so... entertainer or something? Well, I'm, I'm looking at us on the screen and it's like we, we are usually are Steve, because for so many years, we both had the spiky hair, the same basic cut. Oh and, yeah. Well so now it's serious COVID hair. I mean, look at this. <laughs> there, there's not a layer in my hair anywhere. It's, uh, Is that true? Come on. I'm like, I'm like uh, probably uh, a month away from like total heavy metal hair. Yeah. You know? No, you have not had one haircut in COVID? No, not one. Well, no, that's not true. Last summer, uh, we uh, escaped New York and went to the Netherlands, and uh, I got my hair cut right before I came back because I knew it was going to be about a year before I got it cut again. So I got How? my hair. My mother-in-law cuts my hair. She cut yeah. it August. It must have been August the fifteenth or something. Yeah. So I haven't had a haircut since August, September, November. How yeah. how did you go to the Netherlands in the middle of COVID? Special. Don't you know? How, no, really? How did you go? All I'm right. Dutch, baby. I am well, Dutch. I know. I know that your wife is, but I'm Dutch. You are? Yeah. You got citizenship? Yeah. No shit. Wow. You yeah. look so Dutch. I can yeah. tell. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> It's so, called Nederlands Praten, and uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I, I took the test and, uh, and everything. So I'm European, baby. Wow. Well, we, have, we, we have to talk about some COVID stuff because, you know, I don't know. I have these people that watch this show and they're, they're called the COVID crazies. And it's, I was going live seven days a week during COVID at the beginning for many, many months just because what else was I was sitting in my house? What else was are, I going to do? Are you in LA? Like, what, what part of LA are you in? Um, I'm. Uh, you know where La Cunada is? I'm over in the foothills, Montrose. It's this little Mayberry kind of artsy fartsy town. I don't know it, but all I know is I was following Bill Maher with his uh, solar panel problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like California can't do anything. They can't even get solar panels. It took six or eight months for him to like get his solar panels put in. You know, a friend of mine had their solar panels put in six months ago and they're still not operational, which is really crazy. Wow. Uh, yeah, that 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 hurts. So, all right. So I'm, you know, Steve. What I'm going to do, I'm going to have you croon uh, us a tune, and I'm going to go get people because we're on Zoom, which wasn't the plan. It, nothing else is working these days. So um, I'm going to go get people while you're singing. I'm going to I'm going to leave you here all by yourself. Oh boy, you, are you sure? Um... <laughs> Don't leave me alone while the cat's away. The mice will play. I know. Well, you can just take over my show. You can co. Okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about Vicky when she goes. I got the dirt on this girl from New York oh, City. 
You've certainly known me long enough to have the dirt, that's for sure. Um, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go get people now, and and for everybody out there, Steve, what are you gonna sing for us? Well, I'm gonna use uh, this was an unplanned performance, so I, I only have my nylon string ready, which wow. is a slightly softer sound from a steel string, but it's kind of nice because the first guitar I ever uh, wrote songs on was a nylon string, so. Uh, Wait, um, this is your guitar from when you were like 11 years old? Oh, no, 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 no. I no. bought this when I was on tour with Willie DeVille in uh, uh, 2003. And uh, no, but it's, uh, it feels like the first guitar I ever had. So um, this will be uh, a slightly uh, softer sound. But I'm going to do um, the B side of my latest single, Rock and Rock Queen. And I hope I remember the words uh, I didn't Should know. We have to talk about because my father used to give me Rock and Rock when I was a little girl. Was oh, it for yeah. like tooth pain or something? It was for throat pain. For throat pain. Oh, but it had yeah. that rock. It had that rock candy in the bottom. Yeah, sugar bottom. in it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Here's it's so wrong. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Breaking up the night 
tumble outside Red eyes with a rock and ride queen Yeah, rock and ride queen A stagger outside Red eyes with his rock and ride queen Yeah, he's just a king with his casual crown Sets him up and they're knocking him down well, uh, unrehearsed or not, that's a all right. So, why did you write this song? Why Rock and Rye Queen? I, I left out one line because I could not think of it. Uh, they, they waste away the time staring at the faceless young from a perch in Naga Hyde. Oh, like uh, it. They're, they're soaking up the news if the TV's on. Um, why did I write it? Well, um, I was reading a lot of uh, Bukowski at the time. Uh, um, okay. Who's like my favorite writer. And uh, I had seen Barfly back in, in the mid 80s. It became one of my favorite movies. And then I uh, bought all Bukowski's books. And um, I was also thinking about a bar that I used to hang out called Walt's Bar in uh, Matawan. Jersey, where I uh, went to high school. And right. um, so I was kind of thinking about Bukowski and his, uh, the characters from the Barfly movie, which was uh, Faye Dunaway played Wanda. And um, Jack. Uh, Mickey, Mickey Rourke played uh, oh, Mickey uh, Hawk, Hank. Right, right. right. And uh, so I was kind of thinking about those two sitting at the bar. Um, but I was also thinking about the characters in Walt's bar where I used to hang out. And, uh, you know, it's one of those songs that just kind of wrote itself, you know. Um, there's a lot of nice little imagery bits in there. Perch of Naugahyde, kind of like that. Very cool. But, like, was, was rock and rye, like, something that... No, you know, rock and rye was, you know, to me, it's like an old lady drink or an old man drink. Probably more like an old lady drink, because, yeah. you know... Uh, they probably mix it with soda. I don't know. But it always seemed disgusting to me. It was the type of thing where, uh, you know, I would paint houses when I was uh, in high school and just after high school. And, you know, we'd paint the inside of somebody's house and they'd go away for the day. And, like, as soon as they'd be out the door, be, where's the bar? You know, we'd <laughs> look at, and we'd open up their liquor cabinet. And like, oh, look at this crap. What is this? It's got, like, fruit in it and, like, rock candy. Ugh. And we take a swig. Oh God, it's awful. But uh, it's just sort of a play on rock and roll queen, which is a yeah. Hoople song. Right. Rock and roll queen, you know what I mean? I'm just a rock and roll star. I love that I was song. like, you know, you can't write another song called rock and roll queen, of course. So uh, I just made it uh, about a, a nasty liqueur. <laughs> I, I, I kind of love that. And that I says, as I said, my dad used to give us that that nasty liqueur when we were kids and we had a, but it was really great when you're when you're like eight years old and you have a sore throat and you get to have some rye with rock candy in it. It's then it's pretty cool. I guess it, it didn't suck. Um, <laughs> so, all right. So before we get into like this deep Conti story, how is COVID? Because the COVID crazies watch this show. Now, what do you mean by the COVID crazies? Do you mean like anti-vaxxers? Do you mean like oh, fuck people no. who think people who think like metal is uh, like you're going to stick to walls now? There's like heavy no, metal. No, no, the your... opposite of that. We were the first ones online to get our vaccines. We're oh, like, okay. we're like all about, no, no. So that's opposite. really a, sort of a misnomer then, the COVID crazies. Well, no, we were crazy. You're more the, 
You're more the COVID sane. Yes, but we were a little over the top about spraying things and, and being uh -oh. overly. Hello. Okay, all right. Guilty so I want, I want to know, I want to know your COVID story. So when when COVID hit, you travel a lot, you tour a lot, you go to Europe a lot, you go to the Netherlands yeah. a lot. What were you doing? What stopped for you? What were you supposed to be doing next? Everything. Um, yeah. I was I was in Finland on tour with Michael Monroe. Oh, we wow. had uh, about six or eight weeks worth of gigs. Yeah. Um, I got there on Valentine's Day. I remember that because I had to leave my wife on Valentine's Day, as I've done many a year. Um, <laughs> well, um, so I left on Valentine's Day and we were supposed to go till end of March. And by March, well, March 7th, I played my last gig there. Then um, we had like a day off and then we were supposed to do another club gig. Oh no, we did, uh, we were supposed to do a gig on a boat. That's what it was. I'm like, I'm not getting on a boat, a floating oh. Petri dish. Yeah. You know, and uh, with a bunch of drunken, crazy fins and who knows oh. what else, Swedes. Yeah. And, um, and you know, people are just, hey man, come here, let me shake your hand. <laughs> And they want to hug you. And I'm like, mm. yeah. you know, so uh, between that and hearing that uh, 45 was about to close the border, supposedly, mm. which was not true. But also, I am European and American, so I could have got in. But we, just in an abundance of caution, as they say, right. um, I told the guys, look, uh, I got to get on the next flight home. And um, I believe I flew out March 11th, and the boat gig was March 12th. We had a, had a couple of days off. Um, flew home. Um, Wait, before you go on, how crazy? How was it on that flight? Did you wear a mask on that flight? Were you scared? What it was? Well, this was you know these were early days. Right, um, early days. I don't even know if I had a mask with me. Probably not. Yeah. Um, because I guess by the time I left, I guess we were aware of COVID by Valentine's Day, but um, you know we had no idea what was about right. to happen. You know, right? So right. I, I don't remember going out and buying masks at a store there. So I'm right. I probably didn't have a mask, uh -huh. um, but maybe I had hand cleaner. I don't know. Um, but uh, mm. you know, so I paid like two grand mm. for a flight that I couldn't get the money back from wow. insurance or from the band or anything. Uh, just paid it, I had to get home. Three flights, three airports, three countries. Wow. Yeah, it was Finland, to the Netherlands, to Atlanta, to New York. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, knock wood, um, I didn't get sick. Um, you know, I tried to stay away no, I did have a mask. I do remember being on the plane now, having a mask on the plane. Um, uh, I remember eating in an airport in Atlanta. No one had masks on. Um, you know, no one was going hand crazy, hand cleaning crazy. Um, and yeah, I got home to New York, uh, you know, a day later and um, my wife and I were sort of looking around what was happening, like the supermarkets or where the shelves were emptying. 
you know, you couldn't find toilet paper. People were like hoarding stuff. And, right. and we just started thinking, man, like what happens if one of us gets sick? You know, what about the kids? Who's going to take care of our kids? And, um, you know, her family are, uh, they're in the Netherlands and they're ready, willing and able to help uh, on all levels. So we're like, we should really be over there. So I just got home from Europe and we turned right around and went back to Europe. Wow. Um, okay, yeah. so now you took the kids out of school, but had had school already stopped? Uh, well, they were on spring break, I think. But uh-huh. you know, it was about to go remote anyway. Right. Uh, right. Um, so, can I turn my AC on? Because I am sweating like yeah. A go dog go in here. Go do what you need to do. Um, is, I really want. We haven't talked to anybody who's had young kids yet. And I've yeah. talked to a lot of people about their COVID stories. So I'm really curious how you did this. My, I, kids, I, my kids are um, 12 and, and five. So, you know, they are. So you, uh, had, you had the whole schooling thing going on. Wow. Yeah, we had the homeschool going on. Well, there was kind of a hybrid situation. Is the AC too loud? No, no, it's fine. Okay. So um, we had, uh, I mean, this was the early days of everything, you know. The, Right. Early days of Zoom. I mean, they were not prepared. Everybody got caught with their pants down. You know, the uh, all the schools, they didn't know they were going to have to go remote. I mean, right. teachers that are used to teaching in front of kids, sure. you know, all of a sudden had to entertain four-year-olds on a computer screen. You know, my my kid was, uh, every time we told him it was time to sit down in school, he would cry and run out of the room. He Aww. hated it, you know? Aww. So, um, yeah, we. Uh, well, now we wait got, a minute, Steve. With the time difference between New York and the Netherlands, how was that working with school? Well, uh, they would, you know, nine o'clock here is three in the afternoon, so we'd go out and do, you know, we just, we were very, we didn't go anywhere in public. We either went to the backyard, or you know, to uh, there's a meadow nearby or a forest, you know, very naturey where where. Yeah. Uh, when we were and um yeah that was it we we'd go out we'd get some sun we'd go actually go to the beach um there was no mask mandate or anything i mean what was the covid situation there did no, they, did they in have holland, no in, in holland they were sort of in denial for a long time which is why they're kind of in trouble these days oh are they, uh, they hopefully they're on the on the mend right now i think uh most of my in-laws have gotten both vaxes already, but um, yeah, they were kind of going for the Swedish, you know, herd immunity thing, and um, uh, didn't work out well. But while we were there, it was like yeah. the lowest cases in in the Netherlands where we where we were. It was like you know five people in the whole province, you know. Had and that was really good thinking to go where you'd have a backyard and nature. Yeah. Like- and mainly it was, yeah, mainly to get, um, you know, care for the kids and get something happened to us. And, uh, and you know, to be a, a little more, you know, safe and, and have a little more freedom, which we did. Because, you know, here there was like mask mandates and you couldn't go out. One person had to go to the store. You know, you had to be, it was locked down here in New York. So were you going to the store? In the, so you were going to the store there? I don't remember going to the store. I think I got home. I was home for like three days. No, but I mean, when you got to the Netherlands, there you shopped and oh, did all. 
I think I went to a store once. You know, we got ev almost everything delivered. Right. Um, you know, they have their version of Amazon. They have, right. Uh, and um, her dad was going to the store all the time for for his wife and the family anyway. So he would end up, you know, we were staying in, in their place. So he just picked up food for everybody. Right. And um, so I think I went to a supermarket once in the six months I was there, basically lived there for six months. Um, and uh, we went out once to a bar and sat outside. Uh, a friend of ours owns a bar that I've played a bunch. And uh, we, we, that was our one social evening in the whole six months we were there and uh and so then we had to come back because they they started school again so we came back now when they started school though they were still remote right yeah it was remote for a bit and uh then it just became a hybrid thing you know as soon as um because my wife's a teacher at the school where my kids go to school oh. so um as soon as they told her that she had to be in then everybody had to go. So it was hybrid. Luckily, it's a great school. Um, they really had their stuff together, the PPE and the ventilation systems and, and everybody was broken down into little pods. So, you know, there was these six people in a class that had zero interaction with anyone else in the school. Wow. You know, so um, if one kid in that pod got sick, uh, the whole class stayed out. It was only six people and the teacher that stayed out. The rest of the school was not affected by it. So did that happen to your wife or to your kids nope. during COVID? Nope. Wow, that's great. Now the, we had a scare once. We had like a false positive, but uh, other than that, you know, knock wood again. Um, it was uh, it was pretty flawless, I must say. We were luck very lucky. And we were prepared to, I mean, you know, we, we had bought an iPad for my little guy. And so, and by the second year, you know, by September of, of uh, this past school year, as opposed to the spring when they got, you know, caught off guard, uh, right. they had the entire summer to work out how to teach on Zoom, you know, so right. the kids were engaged and, and everything was a lot better. So. And your little one wasn't crying every time he had to get no, on the iPad? No, no. You know, he's still, let's face it, kids, they love their iPads and their computers, but they love it for playing games and watching stuff. Right. Like it for school. <laughs> but like, what do they do with like a five-year-old? What What does school on an iPad look like for a five-year-old? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, they have, they would have, you know, physical education. They'd have a gym class, you know, with it, which is really hard in a Bronx apartment with a neighbor downstairs, you know. Here's my little guy doing jumping jacks and like squat <laughs> thrust, like bang, bang on the floor. And then, you know, here's my neighbor up knocking on the door. We ain't playing time, it's time to stop banging. You know, apartment yeah. life. Yeah. You know. And so how about for you, Steve? Uh, were you able to do work? Were you creative during COVID? Oh, yeah. What, what was it oh, like yeah. for you? Um, it, uh, it didn't really slow me down. Um, except for, you know, the fact that I, I couldn't work really. And, uh, you know, I mean, I haven't, I haven't not played a gig in a year since I've started playing really. Right. I think, right. you know, when I played my first gig at like age 11, I played at least 
least two, three, four, five gigs every year of my life. Yeah. You know, since then, there's a, a long time of, you know, that history. <laughs> um, and, and this is the first time in 15 months I did not play a single gig. Although I, I got together with some friends of mine across the street in the park and like played yeah. acoustically, but it was just last week that I did my first gig with my brother John and uh, Rich Pagano on drums. We played out in Brooklyn and uh, that was a blast. And, you know, I couldn't think of anybody better to do with, with my brother and, so and Rich. Indoors, we played together so much that, you know, we just did our, it was a kind of a cover gig. We did basically our childhood record collections. You know, we played The Who, you know, stuff we used to do at the Rock and Roll Cafe, basically. Right. And, and this was an indoor club. No, it was outside. It was outside. Okay, it, was called say- it was called Industry City. It's called Industry City. It's like in between these two um, like industrial spaces and there's like sort of a, um, uh, I don't know, sort of an alleyway. Yeah. It feels like a lot of space though. It's not like a narrow alleyway. And there's like, you know, umbrellas and there's a sandbox for kids. And it's kind of like a Chelsea market, if you know what Chelsea market yeah, is. Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's like indoor uh, food court, but like really fancy, like exposed brick and, you know, everything's artisanal, which means they can charge you twice as much for <laughs> a piece of bread, you know? Right. Um, so, and they brought barbecue outside to the, so we played outside and they had like a barbecue tent, hometown barbecues nice. and this place. And it was really nice. Um, and they limited it to whatever, 50 people. And, um, you know, I guess they charge more for the tickets. And people are starved to go out and see music. So, you know, people gladly pay. And, I bet uh, they are. And so ha- I bet it felt great to do it. it oh, it was amazing. amazing. Yeah. And so where are you now? I mean, I know things in New York, the numbers are pretty good. And they've taken away the mask mandate. And they've opened everything up 100%. Where are you guys at? Are you going into restaurants? Are you, what, um, do, what do you Not Not indoors. I mean, today I, uh, I came from a video shoot today. I shot with um, a song from my new album. I shot with uh, the crew were all fully vaccinated. And, you know, I didn't even ask the, the woman who was taking care of the theater, we shot in the theater, um, but I'm fully vaccinated. So, you know, um, yeah, I just didn't get too close. And I mean, okay, I'm not- Okay, so being fully, being fully vaxxed, do you feel comfortable that you're not going to get sick? I'm still not uh, taking many chances, if right. that's what okay. you're getting at. I mean, I'm not, you're one of I'm, us. Not, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing indoor dining. I'm not doing indoor gigs. Um, you know, Are you going I, I don't, to, know, I don't do know how this is all going to shake out with the, uh, with the vaccination passes and whatnot. And, and you know. It's all political and whatever. So, uh, you know, we had gigs booked. I had gigs booked with Monroe last summer that were rescheduled for this summer, which were then blown off till next summer. I mean, we, oh, we, had, wow. stadium, we had stadium shows with Guns N' Roses. We had wow. uh, uh, many headline shows in England and Germany and festivals and France. And so those are all blown out till next year. Uh, What's the soonest thing you have booked? What's the soonest uh, gig you've like, got? Um, nothing is even definite yet, but 
the talk is that we're booking um, Finland, um, Monroe's home, Michael Monroe's home uh, country, of course, um, in November and December. But we have yet to see the dates. So they're, they're working on them, but um, nothing definite yet. But I was going to tell you, in, in the whole time of, of COVID, besides you know, not working and not playing with other people, it didn't slow me down a bit uh, creatively. I wrote many songs, recorded many demos, practiced a lot, um, and recently I've had to start practicing standing up because, you know, you can, you can, you know, it's real easy to play that sitting down with a guitar up here, but then when you stand up and the guitar goes down here, you know, so you got to practice, you know, with you with your strap on. That's a really on, good but, point that I that yeah. I hadn't considered. That yeah, makes, so and not only that, somebody, somebody told me that they did their first gig and the guitar was so heavy because they were standing for the first time that he got like a backache from holding his electric guitar for an hour, whatever. Well, um, that should happen to me because I got I got really sore neck and shoulders and I play a left ball. But uh, um, I don't know. I haven't picked up my last ball lately. I've been playing. Um, I've been playing this Zamitis guitar, which is beautiful. I would what is that? Um, it's. Uh, can I get up and show it to you? Can I? Can yeah, I walk I, away from yeah. the camera for a minute? Yeah, sure, of course. Okay, I might have to. Uh... Let's see your uh, your groovy guitar. Show and tell. We like show and tell. I'm going to light too because it's very dark here in my studio. This is my studio, the house of Ziggy. <laughs> my dog Ziggy. You might have seen. I, I, I do remember your dog Ziggy, and I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, thank you. Um, well. Seems like my other lamp is not working over here. So we're gonna have see, to suffer with my full lighting. I see a picture of Ziggy on the wall behind you. Wow. Yeah, that's the house of Ziggy. That's my mascot. All right, screw it. The light's not gonna work. Anyway. Here's my oh, wow. oh wow. Holy Moses. Wow, that's gorgeous. Wow, is it silver? It looks silver. Uh, it's some sort of metal face, you know. But it's it's uh it's wood. It's beautiful. It's good wood. Beautiful. But it's kind of a Les Paul. Ronnie Wood used to use these. Probably still does. James Honeyman Scott from the Pretenders. Beautiful. So uh, I've been using this. This this I have at home. Um, have you know, I have some guitars here at home. I have some guitars in my studio in Manhattan. But uh, what ends up happening is <laughs> I, I kind of use uh, whatever guitar has six strings on it. So, so you played, obviously you played electric the other night when you did the gig. Um, that guitar, um, that guitar like goes into the bad pile for a while. till I, <laughs> till I get up, till I get off my ass and uh, change the string on it. So, so you obviously played electric guitar at the gig that you did at, the other yes, day. Yes, I so played how, that. I played so how, that guitar. 
How was it standing up and playing for that? It was fine. It was fine. It was great. Okay. Okay. So have you done any exercise during COVID? Have you? Uh, I was doing uh, abs. I was doing cardio. Uh, I was doing bike, uh, stationary bike. And uh, I was also doing a lot of physical therapy because I got messed up shoulders. And um, mm. so I was doing all that. And then I don't know if something happened last week and I just fell off my routine. So I haven't worked out in about a week and a half. So I really got to get back to it. But you were doing it all during COVID. Not all during COVID, but, you know, I, I went up and down. I got the COVID uh, 20 or 50. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm probably down to the COVID 10 now. So I still got uh, yep, a, I still got about 10 to lose. So <laughs> what was the eating like during COVID? So did you, did you guys cook a lot more than usual? Did oh, you? Oh, hell yeah. Well, uh, cook, cook and, and order delivery. You know? Right. But I, I think we ate in one restaurant uh, on my birthday. We ate at a great place, an outdoor place uh, up in Dobbs Ferry. Um, and other than that, um, oh, I think, yeah, we ate at a taco place once in Manhattan outdoors. So I think we've had like three meals in restaurants in the past year and then all outside. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. So, and how did you, how did you guys fare being in, in an apartment, basically being inside, all four of you, was it you're looking for dirt you i'm know. not i'm I'm no i'm not because i you're i'm using you as a shining example of how you can make it work wait i got one thing to say choice b <laughs> do you know that video no okay there's this video on youtube right yeah it, it, there's an african-american guy yeah and, uh, and and there's a voice you hear off camera going you are due to the COVID virus. You are confined to your home. Now, would you rather be confined with your wife and child, choice A, or and before oh. he can even get choice B out, the guy goes, choice B, choice B, definitely choice B. Do you see that? <laughs> I do know the video you're talking about. That's hysterical. Yeah. yeah. Yes. No, so I am the opposite of that guy. Um, I'm sure that uh, there are a lot of marriages that broke up, a lot of uh, relationships that broke up, a lot of uh, fights. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was just life as usual. You know, I mean, of course, you have your disagreements, you have your arguments, but it was like the fact that we were like 24 7 like this just made me know that I made the right choice. I That's made the right choice to be with this woman for my wife, these kids. Not that I had a choice of what kids are. <laughs> I just got lucky that I had two wonderful boys, smart. And, and your boys are, are good together? Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're, they're six years apart. So there's a little bit of like, get out of my room, leave my toys alone, you know. Right. But, um, but basically, you know, it, it's, it's an ideal situation. Um, but it was it, was I, I feel it very lucky. be hard for them. I mean, they didn't get to play with their friends. I assume they weren't playing with. Um, we, you know, we worked it out where um, we had, you know, we, my son had a, a birthday party. We did a Zoom birthday party. 
with, um, uh, he's really into anime. So we had like an anime uh, artist who does uh, some of these Netflix shows. Sweet. Um, she came on and did like an anime, uh, like a manga drawing lesson for the kids. And it was like, you know, 12 kids on Zoom, you know, in the Brady Bunch boxes, you know. Right. And then, and then you could break out and you could go into another Zoom room where they're playing Minecraft or Roblox or whatever they play, the kids these days. And um, yeah, so he got to hang out with kids like that when he, that's all he could do. But he's also had play dates out in the park, um, you know, masked when we had to be masked. And now, you know, we're just running around outside with no masks on, you know, except my little guy, my 12 year old is vaccinated fully vaccinated but my five-year-old is not so he still has to wear a mask and we still have to like sort of make sure he keeps his distance right right when the vaccine becomes available to the little ones which they're predicting will happen by the end of the year will you get him vaccinated i assume you will certainly yeah you know my wife is a scientist this is the thing all these people that are out there with all the theories about heavy metals and i mean when I bring this stuff up to my wife, she laughs. I mean, she's like, you know, look at where we live. We breathe New York City air. No shit. Eat a pepper. Do you think you're not getting GMOs? You know, I mean, these people are picking and choosing what they want to be upset about. You know, they breathe the air. They eat, you know, genetically modified food. They, uh, you know, whatever else I just, oh, there's heavy metals in food already you know and the levels of heavy metals in this vaccine are like minuscule not enough to to do anything but you know people just they they get one little talking point and then you know the anti-vax whatever crowd or or that side of things you know blows it up and tucker carlson talks about it you know all these nutcases and then you get you know your QAnon people that just run with it and make up all kinds of crazy stuff so but you know i believe in science my wife believes in science she's a scientist she's a chemist she works in a lab she teaches chemistry you know she knows about this stuff so when i see you know friends of mine and musicians actually that you know are, are pretty smart people um talking about some of this stuff i go god it's shocking. If only, if only everyone were more informed, you know, about the realities, you know, rather than government is after you. Yeah. You know, they're planting tracking devices in you and building, and you know, I mean, you know, God, this has been going on for years. I mean, people have been sending me, oh, Bill Gates is going to plant tracking devices in your body. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. You, know, and- you believe what you want to believe. So I think life's pretty damn good for us these days. I'm, I'm a big Biden fan and he's way, he's way uh, um, exceeded my expectations. Oh yeah. Extremely, I'm, I'm very, I'm a very I, happy. I mean, I mean, just on Putin alone the other day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't betray the country. Oh, well, isn't that what Anything. you're supposed to do? Um, so I saw that um, your son. I got to. I watched a video. Your son is sang on. Oh yeah, you saw. So you saw the Brooklyn gig. I was, no, that was from was that, that gig. No, yeah. was it? Yeah, oh, that was from that. That was from the Brooklyn gig that I played last week. 
This look, this look older than that. This looked like a year ago. No, he didn't sing with you before at a club. Oh yeah, yeah, he sang with me before. I mean, if he sang Recovery Doll, it was that was last week. Okay, I don't remember what I saw him do. I just knew he was sharing a mic with my brother, with John. Yeah, that was last week. Okay, okay, I did see that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so did that happen during? When did he start singing with you? Oh God, uh, he's been. He's been writing songs, melodies, and lyrics and since he was four. Wow. I mean, you know, they were like cute and, and creative when he was four. And I was like, right. I would constantly pick up my phone and go, go ahead, sing that in here. And, you know, what was that? You know, and he'd sing it into my phone. I have a, like a playlist a mile long of his early ideas. And then when he was about seven, uh, he wrote his really his first, like, totally intelligible like song idea that I helped him finish and we recorded his first demo when he was seven wow. and then uh yeah he's been you know he's 12 now so it's been like five years he's been writing we've been recording demos and uh you know sooner or later we're gonna have an, an album's worth of material and wow does he play uh he doesn't really play I'm trying to get him to at least you know, play guitar, enough guitar or enough piano to at least write songs. I'm so dark here, Vicky. I'm sorry. It's just That's right. awful. I wish I had uh, better lighting. Let's see. Maybe I can. I'm I'm washed it. out enough for both of us. Yeah, you are a little. I'm like too, I'm like too white. That's I always look like I have gray hair. Um, this is really great. Okay, so so. Oh, that's oh, terrible. That's, okay, that's really <laughs> yeah. That's better. That's good. I look green. You, you do look a little green. It's not oh, easy. To oh. green. Um, so, all right. So speaking of your son starting, I know the story, but most of these people were not watching the show when you were on last time. By the way, don't go by Facebook numbers. That's a whole weird story, but this will be on 16 platforms and it'll be all over the place and okay. people will eventually see it. All right. So, so you started. I, I believe that you were a drummer first. Is that true? I was a drummer first, yes. When I was seven, I was a drummer. And, and why, uh, why did you start playing drums? Ringo. Yeah, of course. Revolver. Yeah. Um, and John was the guitar player? Your brother was? Yeah, the John was the guitar player. I was the drummer. Um, and when I turned 11, he had been taking guitar lessons for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I picked up his guitar one day and it was a nylon string just like this. And I started going like, I didn't know how to play. I didn't know you're supposed to have a pick. I just used my fingernail and I went. That was the first song I ever wrote just exactly like that and played with my fingernail and i had lyrics i had melodies and everything and i was like wow okay i can write songs uh i better not get stuck behind those drums then i should be up at the front of the stage so i went okay so when you, were, when you were drumming steve did you not sing when you were back yeah i sang when i drummed but it was always hard you know because you, you had that boom stand and you had to just get it just right and you know you'd hit it with your drumstick and you know when you're and it's like you're not that coordinated you know um but besides that i knew that I, I had to be up front and you know sing lead you know i think there was 
I couldn't think of another drummer that sang from behind the drums uh, full time in the band. I mean, Ringo sang his one or two songs with the Beatles. Well, Phil, and, Collins and, sang, Phil Collins sang back. Yeah, then. well, this is way before Phil Collins. So. Right, 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 right. This is like, uh, you know. The 60s. So, so yeah, how, 70s, how, early 70s. So, how, uh, you know, how did you know you could sit? You didn't take voice lessons from what I No, I, I just, uh, it was just natural. My mom's a jazz singer. Yes. I, I grew up hearing her sing from the womb, you know? I mean, she was singing while I was inside in her womb you know singing billy holiday tunes and then you know when when we got old enough to start playing she uh groomed my brother and i to, to play with her to, to play all those great old you know standards ella fitzgerald and you know billy and... were you guys doing clubs with your mother oh yeah when you were kids um yeah well clubs was you had to be at least 18 so that came later but we did a lot of private parties church concerts you know uh, all that kind of stuff library concerts you know so did john and now i know john sang backup all, all the years that did john ever sing front and center he was never uh as gregarious about it as i was i was just like well somebody's got I just always sang by default. It was just like, all right, well, nobody wants to sing, so I'll sing, you know? <laughs> and, you know, that worked pretty well for me. I mean, I never took a voice lesson. I had good pitch, I had good feel. And by the time I got into high school, I realized, uh, you know, we, I got into a band and we wanted to do All Right Now by Free, you know, Paul Rogers. Yeah. And the, the other singer was not a, was not really convincing doing it. And I was like, I'll try it. And I realized, oh, man, I, I can kind of do Paul Rogers, you know. You can do Paul Rogers. Yeah. You can do Rod Stewart. I mean, I know. you know, for what everybody's, for what, and this is not blowing smoke. And I've said it all the years that I've known you. You're in the top three voices of my rock and roll voice loving for, oh. of, of all time. You oh, are, you. you're the rock and a singer. And they're asking right now if we can hear another tune. Can you play Recovery Dolly, your, your latest, coolest song in the world on Little Steven's mm -hmm. Underground Garage. And did he, did his label put out your record? Yes, this is on Wicked Cool Records, Steven's label. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, you know, I gotta warn you folks, I did not prepare this song. <laughs> we'll take it as it comes. Um, so let's see. And I, I won't be really doing a, a whole lot of Paul Rogers on this, but <laughs> anyway, so I, to finish my story, uh, nobody wanted to sing that stuff. So I sang it and I was like, oh, okay, so I can do that. And then I started doing the Rod Stewart stuff. And, you know, in the 80s, I was singing like Brian Adams gonna, you know, anything with like a raunchy sort of uh, blues, you know, rock, blues rock voice. And, uh, you know, it only got to be a problem when we were trying to pull off like Zeppelin or Kansas or something where the guys were singing way, high, you know, really high. Then it was like, okay, I just want to lay back and play and let's get, you know, another singer, which we could never really find. You know, it was always a problem finding a singer. So I just became a singer out of default um, and, you know, became really comfortable for me. And 
I could always play and sing at the same time without thinking about it. You know, some guys are like, how do you play and sing? And I just always did both at the same time. So it's never, uh, never an issue. And you do them very, very well. All right, here we All go. Right, let's try. You had a maid, girl, you had it all. You got a kick chemicals and alcohol. It's your recovery down. It's your recovery down. Well, everything changed when you came along. Every little word in every song, you were always right in the world was wrong. You took a shot, but your pain is dull. I can't pick you up at the hospital. It's your recovery dog. It's your recovery dog. Now everything changed when you came along. Every little word in every song, you were always right, but the world was wrong. Here's a bridge. All you need is cash. Come back to your position just before the crash. It's your recovery dog. It's your recovery dog. Well, everything changed when you came along. In every little word, in every song, you were always right, but the world was wrong. Steve, what a great song. Okay, is there a story behind, uh, is there a story behind that song? Well, um, yeah. So that's a song, the music I had laying around for years because um, I presented that to New York Dolls. I presented it to Michael Monroe and both bands um, passed on it. But wow. it wasn't, to be fair, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't called Recovery Doll when I presented it to the dolls. Okay. But it was when I presented it to Michael. But I didn't have the mbop kebab. Um, and uh, it was probably a little poppy or whatever for them. So whatever, fine. That, that happens all the time where I present songs and um, people I'm working with uh, hear it in a different way. 
then I hear it that I know it can be, and uh, I ended up recording it for myself. And you know, then they get played all over Little Steam's Underground Garage. They turn the coolest songs in the world. I get paid for them, and all is well. So great. Have, Just keep on anybody, rejecting my tunes, folks. Because like four of your songs have been the cool that I know of. Uh, the DJ song. Uh, okay, DJ. Uh, Somebody gonna get their head kicked in. And uh, Rockaway, um, give me Rockaway. Rock, give me Rockaway. This uh, one. This one. So, and they've been the, the coolest song in the world for you know the week. But then I think three of them have, and this one I'm sure will as well, gone on to compete for the coolest song in the world for the year. And yep. DJ was number two behind Springsteen. Right. Another one. Uh, Gimme Rockaway, I think, was number five or something behind the monkeys and just crazy shit. Yeah, I, I don't remember, but uh, yeah, so they've all been up there. Um, and so has anybody like, registered, uh, uh, wow, I fucked up that I didn't take that song? Has anybody ever said that to you? Probably not, you know, and, and you know, if yeah. they did, I'm sure they wouldn't say it out loud anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I have... Uh, Never mind. I have heard things, but uh, I'm not going to say it. But, um, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, yeah. When you have a, a songwriter in your band and, and he puts out his own albums, you know, it's going to happen. Um, you're going to, you know, you might, the, the songs I present for either one of those bands are songs I wouldn't necessarily do myself sometimes. Like I, I, I write with that in mind, like, okay, I'm, I'm writing a song for the dolls. It's gotta be, it can't be what I would do for myself necessarily. Right. So I try and get into that head or with Michael, I try and write things that I think Michael's gonna sing or that he's gonna like, or that he sound good singing. Right. And, um, and sometimes they miss the mark. Sometimes the, like my Ballad of the Lower East Side, um, which is his most played song ever on Spotify in his whole wow. career. Yeah. Can you, you know, can you give us a taste? Do you know it? I don't. Really? I don't, maybe I do and I just don't know that I know it. Probably is Things that. are different today. Back in New York, I lived down the speedway back in the day. There were junkies, pimps, and whores. Hallelujah. Now it's squeaky clean. There's no place left to play. Never heard that? Well, it does sound familiar. I probably have. I don't know. I'm and, then it goes, and then it goes fast. Then it oh. goes fast. Then it goes fast. Yeah. So... But, uh, you know, I wrote that for him. Right. Um, but, you know, it was about my experience of New York. But um, he did live in New York for a while. So, of course, people think that he wrote it because he lived in New York. That's but, right. Uh, then, then I did my job. I made people think that he wrote it. But uh, um, so that's, uh, that's kind of the way it goes, you know. And, and sometimes, you know, then I put out an album and I go, uh, not necessarily Michael, but you know, how come he didn't give that song to us? He kept <laughs> that for himself, you know. I've heard other people say things like that, you know. But yeah, 
you know, there's certain songs you, you write and you go, you know, I'm writing a bunch of songs for this band, but this one I'm going to take out of the pile and put it here for myself because this is just, it's to me. It's, it, you know, it just yes. feels like something I should do. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's a theory, oh, you should always give your best songs to the people you're writing for. And, okay. Uh, I agree with that to a certain degree, but um, then also if I feel like the song is just really so me, you know, like lyrically or so New York. Like I have a bunch of songs I presented for Michael. We're working on songs for a new album. And I have songs about America and songs about racial justice. I'm, and like, I really want to present them to him. The music is stuff that he would totally get into. But right. the lyrics are, are not something that a Finn is going to sing, you know. Um, even though he lived in New York, it's just, you know, it's my take on right. what's happening in America right now. So as good as they are, I don't think they're going to fly with him because, you know, he's going to hear and go, yeah, it's cool. But, you know, what am I going to do with that lyric? You know? So. Can you tweak the lyric to be right? For I could. Me? I could. And I, I actually thought about it. Um, because. Uh, you know, he also spent time in London. He spent, you know, he's he lived in London for a while. Finland, of course, New York. So, you know, the guy's been around, but currently he is in, you know, he's like the star of Finland. So uh, it's kind of hard to, um, I mean, we've done songs about Tokyo. We've done songs about London. We've done songs about New York, but it's more reminiscing about things that happened in the past. Right. right. If we're going to talk about current events in yeah. New York or in the U.S., it's kind of rough to. Well, that like, sounds like it's a song for you, period. I mean, it just sounds like it makes sense that it's a song for you. No? Yeah. Well, I did present them, um, and uh, you know, we're still waiting to hear. But um, my sense is, you know, it's not going to. Um, you know, if there's a bunch of other things that are more vague, that you know, he could hang his his hat on so to speak and and uh feel comfortable singing um because it's not a you know singing an, an i song especially when it's an i song like i you know believe this or i think this and then it's about where right this guy lives you know what i mean I, not that guy right so um yeah i could tweak things and you know if people like the the lyrics enough and and they're forthcoming with critiques instead of just, nah, I don't like it. You know, like, yeah, I really like the music, man. Just, you know, it's too New York centric or America, you know, American for me, then I would gladly, you know, change it. Yeah. But, you know, I have to hear those reports first, you know. So, okay, so let's go back. So, so you're playing, you're, you're, you're a drummer, you become the guitar player, you become the front man. You and your brother have start playing, start doing bands, and uh, how how do you guys break out? I, I know the answer to this, but how did you break out from doing you know high school bands to becoming a professional musician? Well, I had to get out of high school first. Yes, you did, <laughs> <laughs> um, and college, um, and moved to New York, so. You know, uh, unlike um, a lot of guys that just got out of high school and went straight 
into the city. Um, I got offered a scholarship for uh, Rutgers and they had a great music program. Mm -hmm. And I was just starting to get really serious about music and guitar like around this time. And uh, in fact, you know, I was kind of going down a bad path with uh, certain substances and uh, I woke up on a lawn of a college one morning in the blazing sun with my nose pouring blood and I was like, I was like where am I? Who am I? Oh. I'm on the lawn of a college. This must be a sign. You know, <laughs> the next day I enrolled at school there and I enrolled in, uh, I started taking lessons with this great jazz guitar player who was my mom's uh, accompanist. This guy, wow. Harry Leahy, was a Jersey, New Jersey, a giant in jazz. He played with uh, Phil Woods, great sax player. And um, so I started studying and, uh, and then I got a scholarship to go to Rutgers. And I was like, well, who am I to turn this down? Free education, you know? So yeah. I went. And uh, so I got to New York a little bit later than, uh, you know, I was probably in my mid twenties by the time I got to New York. Mm -hmm. instead of early 20s and so um, how, did it, how did it break for you um you know 10 year overnight success <laughs> no did, what, you, okay when i met you you were already you had already played with blood sweat and tears how did that happen yeah that was like my my first calling card when i got to the city it's like hey i played with blood sweat and tears like what <laughs> you with the gigantic hair and the <laughs> Silver boots. It's true. You know? That is kind of. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, David Clayton Thomas, the singer of, uh, of Bliss, Wind, Tears, used to say, Steve Conti doesn't want to be in this band. Just look at him. Look at him with his heavy metal boots and his, you know, giant hair. And his, I had like a red guitar with a whammy bar, you know. Um, how but, did you uh, get into, how did you get into Bliss, Wind, Tears? Because my, my brother was in there first. Um, somebody that my brother had gone to school with, got the gig. Sorry, you're not boring me. I'm just, uh, <laughs> never, there's never quite enough sleep with a five-year-old. Um, somebody in my brother's circle had gotten the gig and then they just, you know, people just pulled their friends in. They're like, right. okay, I think the drummer got the gig first. And then, and then David Clayton Thomas said, oh, we need a keyboard player. Oh, I know somebody, oh, need a bass player. Oh, I know somebody. And they would just pulled their friends in. And uh, uh -huh. there was a, you know, the Gellis brothers, David. I was going to say, was this before the Gellises were in or after the Gellises? Yeah, so it was the Gellis brothers were in first, guitar and bass, just like the Conti mm -hmm. brothers, right? Okay. And um, so Jeff Gellis, the bass player, left. My brother came in and Dave was still playing guitar. And then Dave left at some point. And so John called me and he was like, uh, Dave can't make this gig. And in fact, I think he's leaving the band. Do you want to do this? Or, I was like, okay, when's the audition? When's the rehearsals? They're like, no audition, no rehearsals. Uh, we'll send you a tape and uh, get on the plane and come to Miami. And that was my first gig. <laughs> like all these like, you know, 13 minute extended like jazz jams and all this crazy stuff. I mean, it's a good thing I went to school and, and you know, learned you know by ear how to figure stuff out i mean i'm still not a great Wait, were you reading chart you weren't reading charts. no there was no charts no i had to write charts. my own charts i wrote i listened wow. to cassette tapes on a walkman on the plane and like made my own charts on the plane got to the gig we did a sound check and that was my rehearsal 
You know, I was like, wow. Uh, they said, what do you want to play? I was like, okay, well, this one's a little hard. Let's play this one. And, you know, there was some that I knew from my childhood, like you made me so very happy and spring right. wheel. But uh, some of the other ones I didn't know. So I, I, we played them on the soundtrack as my rehearsal. And then I ended up staying in the band for a year or two. And uh, that was it. I, you know, trial by fire. Wow. Okay, so you leave Blood Sweat. Yeah, and then so you know, I came to New York, and uh, you know, this was the '80s. So like, here I am playing with a, a '60s band. You know, of, and it's all young guys except for the original lead singer. Right. So it was a, a little bit uh, of an odd gig to walk around going, "Hey, uh, hire <laughs> me. I'm I'm the guitar player for this one, dude." <laughs> But you know, it, it was a name. It was my first road gig, and I, yeah. I, I'm thankful for that. Uh, I got great experiences. I learned what not to do. I learned what to do. I learned, you know, I messed up. I, you know, did good and bad, and and learned uh, as everyone does on their first gig, you know. Right. And um, you know, from there, I think my next gig was with. Uh, I auditioned, I got a call from, oh, I remember I was playing with Dan Hartman and Charlie Midnight. You know who those guys are? I don't think they, so. They wrote Living in America for James Brown uh-huh. and, and produced it. Uh-huh. And um, Dan Hartman was the, he was the bass player in Edgar Winter's group. He oh, wrote wow. Free Ride, Come On and Take, you know. Um, I saw Edgar Winter he, at the film. Yeah, he yeah. wrote and sang that. Wow. And he had a hit, Instant Replay, and uh, I Can Dream About You. Oh, yeah, sure. Right, so that was Dan Hartman. Mm-hmm. So him and Charlie, Midnight, they wrote the song, Living in America, and um, uh, he had a hit with it. And then Dan, I first moved to New York in October of 86. Uh, in November, Dan Hartman called me to do a record. I did my first record date within a month of living in New York City. Um, and I was already playing in Charlie Midnight's band. I guess that's how Dan met me. He came to a rehearsal. I was booking you very soon after that. I didn't yeah. know you had just can't come to New York. Wow. No, you were booking me in like 88, I think. Earlier. Or 87, maybe? 87. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, so um, I did that, uh, Dan and Charlie, and then... Um, why was I telling you this? Because this segues. Oh, so Dan Hartman gave my number to um, the Prince camp. And I got a call one day. It was like, uh, hi, Steve. Uh, this is Winnie Martin was her name. I, I work for um, Prince's management company. And um, I want to talk to you about auditioning for Jill Jones, who was she was in the revolution. She's the girl who sang, I was dreaming when I wrote this book, it may ever go this way. She sings the first line of that song. She was the waitress in Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. She's a great artist, um, great singer, uh, front person, actor, whatever. And uh, I ended up getting the audition. I mean, it was cattle call auditions at Top Cat Studios. Remember that joint? Sure. On 28th Street. Uh huh. So it was like every musician in town was there, and I went. There was like a line of guitar players and you know, wow. drummers, and and uh, I remember I I was really into um, creative visualization. 
and, and I went home and I meditated on that album cover. I was looking at the Joe Jones album cover. And I'm going, I see myself playing with it. I see myself. I love this. Because the, the plan was we were going to open for Prince on his Sign of the Times tour. And um, so I, I was meditating on this album cover. And, you know, I thought I did a really good, I, I handed in an audition tape and then I went and played with them. And uh, just as I was staring at this album cover, the phone rang and it was like, Steve, you got the gig. And so <laughs> I so believe yeah. in all that. Yeah. So, uh, and did you uh, open Prince? No. So then what happened was uh, uh, there'd, there'd be, we'd have these rehearsals. We'd rehearse five days a week, eight hours a day wow. at Top Cat. And uh, eventually the band kind of changed. Two of the guys left um, Mark Alexander and, and um, oh, what was the drummer's name? Oh, his name escapes me. Great drummer, uh, real dark-skinned Cuban guy, um, Leslie Ming. Um, they went to Little Steven's band, Disciples of Soul. And so then we got new guys, and we got a new keyboard player. We got a new, uh, because Mark was the musical director. Uh, so we got a new keyboard player, a new drummer, and then they made me musical director. So then I became the guitar player and musical director. And you know who our background singer was? Angie Stone. You know Angie Stone? No. Huge neo soul R&B star for no, the last 15 years now. Okay. Yeah, I mean she was she was the background singer in Jill Jones. She's huge. I mean she's massive and, and awesome. Fantastic. Uh, so that was a great gig. But uh, what, what would happen would be they would film the rehearsals every day and then like send them somehow send them to Prince. Yeah. Um, which is weird now that I think about it because he was on tour in Europe. So I don't know if they were FedExing VHS tapes over to Prince in Europe. Sounds a little fishy, but uh, <laughs> they would come in the next day and go, okay, so Prince watched the tape and he said, girls, you got to do more of this and guys, blah, 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 blah. And everybody was like, what you going to say about me? And then Jill would turn to me and go, he said the guitar player is cool. So I was like, wow. all right, all right, well, so I, I don't have to, you know, worry about it. Wow. So, you know, I had this whole big fantasy about, okay, we're going to open up for Prince. And then, uh, you know, I, I was a huge Prince fan. Oh. And uh, I thought, uh, you know, eventually, you know, I'll probably get to play in his band. Um, well. Were you creatively it, visualizing this? Uh, well, that didn't work too well if I did. Because <laughs> what, what happened was... Uh, his album that had come out at that time, Sign of the Times, which is mm -hmm. my favorite Prince album, mm -hmm. uh, wasn't doing well here in the States. And so he canceled his uh, American tour that we were supposed to be on. And he just released that movie, Sign of the Times, which is like a concert film, like an arty concert film. Mm -hmm. um, he released that over here and just ended up doing the, the tour of Europe. And, um, and that was it. We played... We rehearsed five days a week, eight hours a day, played two gigs with the band Level 42. Remember them? No. There was something about you. Da -da 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 -da. Funky band from England. Anyway, we played two gigs with them. And then the band broke up. And it was you it. did all that rehearsal. All that work. All that work. Two yeah, two gigs. gigs. Yeah, two gigs. 
Wow. And uh, yeah, so from there, uh, I went to, I played with Glenn Burtnick for a minute. And then uh, I made his video, Follow You, which is my first time on MTV. That was 87. And then uh, shortly after, we started the Hudson River Rats, the blues band. And um, we had all those people come down to underact me. And you know, that's where I met you know, uh, Willie DeVille for the first time, David Johansson, Cindy Lauper, Carol King, uh, Phoebe would come down all the time. And all the studio cats, Will Lee and Lou Marini from the Blues Brothers. And so I like started meeting studio people. And, uh, you know, it was, was kind of one of, it was one of my side goals was to like, I mean, my main goal in moving to New York was I want to start a band, you know, get a deal and, you know, be the singer, songwriter, guitar player that I always wanted to be playing my own music. Right. Um, but uh, in the meantime, I was meeting all these studio people and they started like calling me for like sessions. And we did whatever we did with the blues band as our um, as our uh, as the backing unit. We played with James Cotton, legendary harp blues harp player. Wow. Yes. Uh, in um, uh, on a session on a commercial, actually, for Skippy Peanut Butter. And uh, and then we ended up playing with Etta James um with with that band and we ended up playing with chuck berry and uh okay you know, I, I know you're saving the story for your book but you have to tell the truncated version because it's a classic story you got to tell the story come on you I'll, gotta tell, I'll tell a little bit of it okay so yeah so the um by the way how long is this interview going to be because uh, i don't want to bore people you're not going to bore people but if you get hungry we'll we'll, we'll wrap when you need to wrap um, so yeah, this was the time of my, uh, um, the, the Hudson River Rats blues band. And, uh, you know, we were all, which was basically the Blood, Sweat and Tears band. It was Tom DeForia, who you remember from the Rookies when we used to play. Uh, we yes. were called the Rookies. That's, by the way, we had that name, the Rookies, because every time somebody would do, we were all just kids out of school, you know, when we were Blood, Sweat and Tears. So. Every time somebody would do something fucked up, you know, David Clayton Thomas would go, you rookies. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so we were also remembering that TV show from the 70s. It was a cop show called The Rookies. Right? Yes, I remember. <laughs> but uh, so we call ourselves The Rookies. But um, but that's that was the, the band, Blood, Sweat and Tears uh, house. We were like the, the house band for this. Um, the, we call ourselves the Hudson River Rats with uh we just added rob paparozzi on harp and uh, we had a band it was uh glenn mcclellan the keyboard player my brother myself tom defaria and uh we backed all those singers up that i mentioned at the under acme i was acme there Bar many times yeah that was simultaneously simultaneous when you were doing the rock and roll cafe it was the same time yeah 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 that was 88 and um and then uh, Keith Brewer actually came down. Jeff Kent was uh, running the jam. He was a friend of mine who's um, now uh, has passed on. AG Thank you, Jeff comes, for everything. AG comes on often. Oh yeah, yeah, AG. Yeah. I love Andy. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I owe a lot to Jeff. Uh, he really hooked me up a lot of stuff. In fact, he said that to me, "You got to meet this." This guy Keith Brewer, you know, he's really he's a great songwriter like you. You, you guys would really 
vibe on the same stuff, you know, Beatles and Stones and some petty and you know, all that kind of stuff. So we got together and started writing and within, you know, the first two weeks of knowing each other, we had about half the first company of Wolves album without wow. even knowing that it was going to be a band or anything. He was like, I know a drummer, Frankie LaRock. I said, I know a bass player, my brother. And uh, how did you guys get that name? How did you get Company of Wolves? It was actually the name of one of the songs that Keith and, and Jeff had written, which we never really recorded for real. Like we did a, a live recording of it, live at uh, Atlantic Studios, but it was uh, not quite, it was not quite right for us stylistically, but it was mm -hmm. a bit too heavy. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, within um, a week we had uh, written like three songs and then the next week we wrote three more. The first song we ever wrote was The Distance, which was our second single. And um, yeah, so uh, everything kind of came out of that scene, you know, um, that Acme thing. And, um, you know, people would come down and line up to, you know, play to be, but you had to be invited. You couldn't just show up with, a, with an ax and go, hey man, I'm here to play. It's like, no, you had to be invited. You had to come and rehearse with the band. It was very, oh. it was very, we were, everyone was screened. You know, there was not gonna be any, because people were paying good money to come in there. Right. It was like whatever, 10 bucks. I don't remember how much it was, but you know, they didn't want to see any jokers, you know, fooling around like they weren't playing the blues we had rules you had to play a blues had to be at least a you know a 12 bar blues or a gospel sort of thing you know there's no rock songs you know um so that it, it turned out to be really a good you know I, I like to put limits on myself like when i was going to, to school all i listened to was jazz from the 40s 50s and maybe 1960 or early 60s it was like coltrane charlie parker dizzy gillespie thelonious monk you know that era of stuff only right. there was no chick Corea, there was no mahavishnu mm -hmm. none of that like electric stuff it was all acoustic jazz so i like putting those kind of blinders on and just getting into that thing for a while and it was the same thing with the blues um, when we did the uh, the blues band. Because, I mean, I grew up playing Chuck Berry and Stones and, you know, Stones always did Muddy Waters songs. And, um, you know, I just knew those records. And, and so it was in me naturally anyway. So, you know, to limit myself to just that for a while was, was also a good thing. Um, but uh, eventually that band... Um, got hired to be Chuck Berry's, uh, not the company Wolves, but the Riverettes. Right. Got hired to be Chuck Berry's band at uh, the Meadowlands. He was playing at the Trackside Park. And uh, the promoter who uh, I knew, he used to work with my mom. My mom would sing there at the, at the track uh -huh. and um, jazz gigs and stuff in between the races. And he called, uh, he said, you guys want to be Chuck Berry's band? I said, hell yeah. And so I said, we, you know, use our band, Hudson River Rats. We're, we're, you know, fully formed unit, you know. We, and that's what Chuck Berry did, right? Wherever he went, he used. Yeah, he, he would get a, he would hire a, a pickup band, they call it. Right. You know? 
uh, he wouldn't necessarily hire a, a set band. Maybe the promoter would suggest, you know, this bass player, this, you know, right. different guys together. But in this case, the promoter said, called me and said, put the band together. So I put the band together. It was not even a job. It was just like, get my band. Boom. And we were right. all there. And so the promoter picks up Chuck from the airport. He goes, uh, Chuck says, who's my band tonight? Um, uh, the promoter goes, oh, Chuck, I got you a great band. It's the Conti brothers, Steve and John, John's bass player, Steve plays guitar. He goes, guitar? <laughs> I don't use no other guitar player. And, and uh, Frankie, the, the promoter, oh, no, Chuck, don't worry. Steve's, Steve's real good. He can lay back. And Chuck says, well, I'm going to give him one song. If he ain't happening, I'm going to throw him off the stage. So, and the promoter tells me this right before we go on, of course. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to lay way back. And we, we, we had watched uh, the Hail, Hail Rock and Roll movie had come out recently, uh, a couple years before. And we had been watching that and studying that movie. I mean, we all knew the songs anyway. Did you guys rehearse separate from Chuck? Did you like rehearse? No, no, no I don't think so. Yeah. We, we just we just knew the tunes. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even remember. Maybe we did. But we knew that it was going to be, you know, um, uh, fly by the seat of the pants. You know, he can change at any moment. He can <laughs> pull out some tune we never heard or not do a song that we rehearsed or change a key. Right. You know, so we just watch his foot, you know, and that's what he told us in the dressing room. He goes, uh, drummer, watch my foot. That's how we're going to end. That's how I'm going to show you how we're going to end the song. He goes, bass player, if I make a move in my neck, that means that's what I want you to play. And he says, and listen to the lyrics. If it wasn't for the lyrics, we'd be playing the same song all night. <laughs> so, and I mean, Chuck's my hero. You know, I, yeah. the first records I ever bought were Chuck Berry's Golden Decade. The first guitar solo I ever learned was Johnny Be Good. My first concert my dad took me to when I was 13 in Madison Square Garden wow. to see Chuck Berry wow. on, a, uh, on like a revival. It was right. like the Shirelles and, you know, it was all these 50s groups and Chuck Berry was the headliner. Wow. And I'll never forget like waiting at the stage door for him and he came wow. out afterwards and we followed him down the street. Hey, how about an autograph, Chuck? My dad was saying, and Chuck's like, oh, no autographs. <laughs> um, but, you know, so here I am fucking playing with Chuck Berry. And uh, wow. I'm like, I'm not getting thrown off the stage. I'm going to lay way back. So first three songs, I'm like way in the background. And then, then he does a slow blues. He does, a, you know, a, when, when things go wrong, go wrong with you it hurts me too so he does it hurts me too and ba -da -da -da, points to me solo gives me a solo i'm like well i thought he's gonna throw me off the stage now chuck berry's giving me a solo <laughs> all right i play a solo towards the end of the solo he's like to the audience he's like can the man play? <laughs> Give him another one. Go on. Take another one. Gives me gives me another solo. Like, wow. All right. <laughs> I was worried I was going to get thrown off. Now Chuck Berry has given me two solos on the same song. <laughs> then we do a bunch more. We do O'Carroll. We do 
Memphis. We do like all his classics. I mean, I'm creaming, you know. And wow. uh, same thing. Does another slow blues. I don't remember what it was. Gives me a solo. Wow. Okay. Can the man play? Take another one. <laughs> right. Then a couple songs later, he starts Johnny Be Good. Now, here I am. <laughs> this is the moment. I'm playing the first song I ever learned the solo to oh with God. the man who wrote it. Oh my legend God. who invented rock and roll guitar playing. Jesus. And here he goes. He plays the first lick. He goes and pop his high E string pops right off his guitar, right? So I'm like, okay. He sort of stumbles through the intro. Oh. And all I'm thinking about is what happens in the middle? Oh. Because in the middle break, you know, he goes, mm, you know, uh, go. Johnny, <laughs> let me get it in the right key. Go, go. Johnny, be good. He points to me. Take the middle solo. And, you know, I'm waiting my whole life for this moment. You know? Wow. And, uh, and I get to play Johnny Be Good solo with Chuck Berry. Wow. Then, uh, you know, I'm, I have this on film, by the way. And everybody's like, when are you going to put it up on YouTube? Someday. I'm not in a rush. But. Uh, That's amazing that you have yeah, it. Yeah, I have it. And, and my. Uh, my smile is so wide it looks like my face is going to crack in half you know? and uh, after the song Chuck brings his giant 335 uh, Gibson guitar over to me and hands it to me and goes change my string now I just happen to have strings so I changed his string he took my guitar I had a Telecaster. He puts it on the strap. It's like a violin on him. It's like <laughs> up here. You know? And he spends like 10 minutes untuning the guitar because his hands are so giant that he pulls the strings. He bends the strings out of tune when he plays. But he knows how far out of tune he has to have the guitar tuned so that when he hits a chord, it's in tune. Right? So he spent my guitar is perfectly in tune. He, he untunes it. Meow, meow, meow. Until it's in tune, so he can grab it, right? Wow. So we play, I tune up his guitar, I get his guitar perfectly in tune. I come out and playing it, you know, his guitar is way down at my knees because <laughs> you know, he's giant, you know. So after the song, we switch back. He spends another 10 minutes untuning his guitar that I just tuned perfectly. And uh, um, this is all on film too amazing and by the end of the night we're, we're thinking you know chuck is probably really loving this i mean we we're playing this music the way it's supposed to be played like we had seen chuck play with a lot of like bands that just hacked right you know, like hacker guys they just right barely you know everybody can play a chuck berry song but not everyone can play with the right feel so we were we were psyched that we were playing this stuff with the real feel from the 50s records, you know, like kind of the drums were half swinging while the guitars were playing straight. It was kind of like 
where rock rock and roll and R&B and jazz sort of met, you know, and, and right. uh, we loved that that feel. And so we're thinking, man, Chuck, it's he's smiling. Look at him. And he's saying something to us. We're like, he's, he's probably trying to tell us how good we sound. Right. Here's this is what we're thinking. And we're saying, what is he saying? We're trying to read his lips. He's going, what? <laughs> and then we finally figure out what he's saying. He's going, five more minutes, five more minutes, and I'm out of here. <laughs> so, and uh, that's kind of how it ended. And no Tell me more details in the book. And okay, and, and and no no conversation with Chuck after. I mean, it was not not after. No, he he uh, he was with a very buxom blonde at the side of the stage, and then linked arms and out into the parking lot to his Cadillac. Um, and I really regretted, you know, I didn't bring an album. I'm the first album I ever bought. I should have had Chuck sign it. <laughs> But uh, no, that was it. We had the conversation with him at the beginning, um, you know, where he told us to, you know, watch his foot and all that. And, and once we got up on stage, there was no more words were said wow. between us. <laughs> it's a great story. It's yeah. a great. Okay, so I know also in, that you, uh, you were Paul Simon standing for a long time. H how did you get that gig? Uh, yeah, it was a 10 year gig, man. Um, crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, Mark Stewart, Paul's guitar player, um, who also plays every stringed instrument, uh, cello and banjo and mandolin and horns and all kinds of stuff. Super talented guy. He had played on uh, a record that my brother and I had done called Linoleum, our band Crown Jewels. Mm -hmm. And um, he that was kind of the softer side of my voice on that record and uh you know mark knew um that paul liked to have uh like a backup singer in case you know he didn't want to sing during rehearsals so they had been flying a guy in from detroit or somewhere putting him up in a hotel and and uh, I guess they wanted to do something more economical and get a guy from New York who could just come from home. And um, so Mark suggested me. And uh, I talked to Paul's brother, Eddie Simon, on the phone and, and struck a deal with him. And uh, next thing I know, I'm at the rehearsal being Paul. You know, they had gotten me a stack like the entire Paul Simon sound, uh, songbook, all, every CD. Uh, every you know book of sheet music, lyrics, and uh, you know, it was a real stickler for things. You know, sometimes it, if I would sing one little word out of place, you're gonna, you know that's uh, there was no interpreting. It had to be just so, which was fine. You know, I, I'm I'm always up for the challenge. And uh, Paul is a, a genius, man. He's uh, he knows everything that's going on. He has got a like 15 piece band and he can hear every instrument he'll get to the end of the song and he'll go uh trumpet you're playing a b flat on bar eight of the bridge it's supposed oh, to be Jesus. natural you know some crazy stuff like that so um did you ever 
sing with him because you were being him? Did you ever get to sing with yes. him? Yes. When I did Simon, so from from Paul's solo, the first thing I did with him was You're the One, his solo album that came out mm -hmm. in 2000. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, um, Simon and Garfunkel got back together. 2003 to do that mm -hmm. tour with the Everly Brothers opening. And uh, I saw them the first time they got back together in Central Park. Oh my oh, God, that's a whole nother. Oh yeah, that's, God. that was the early 80s, right? So yeah, um, the uh, on the, the days that uh, art wouldn't show up, we would do, you know, Scarborough Fair or Sound of Silence and it would be Simon and Conti. I'd be singing Art's part, and uh, and then some days Paul wouldn't show up, and Art would be there, and it would be Conti and Garfunkel. Yeah. Okay, I know I've asked you this before, but come on. I mean, Garfunkel sang that really high. You sing that really high stuff. Well, not like as clear as a bell, you know. But uh, yeah, it was like I said, it was a it was a challenge. I rose to the challenge. You know, was it I like thrilling? I like challenges. Sounds, you know, was it as thrilling as it sounds like it would be to be uh, Simon yeah. Conti? Yeah, it was. It was absolutely. Wow. Was uh, any of that recorded? Um, maybe. <laughs> ah, I like it. Uh, it's uh, it's certainly not for uh, mass consumption. There might be a mm -hmm. rehearsal tape or something out there somewhere. I don't know. But um, right. yeah, I mean, I never sang live with them on stage, obviously, because right. they were the guys. Were I, I was yeah. merely, you know, if Paul had to like go run and do an interview or sometimes he just wanted to rest his voice. Um, sometimes he wanted to kind of step back and hear the full arrangement with a vocal without him right. singing it. Because when you're singing, you're focusing on the lyrics and the melody and where to come in and all that. And you can't really, focus on what the band's doing so he would listen to me sing it so hence you know the reason why i had to really sing it just like him right um so that he would you know know how his melody is interacting with the band and um yeah so that was uh that's the reason for you know him having a, a spunk vocalist so cool <laughs> all right so postel is saying tell vicky about playing with tiny tim <laughs> Post, uh, <laughs> hi Stevie. Um, yeah, so uh, that was a fun gig. He, he railroaded me into uh, being Tiny Tim's musical director once. We played out at uh, Stephen Talk House in Amagansett mm -hmm. in the Hamptons. And uh, I would play some gigs with Steve um, and Bobby Chouinard on drums. I mean, it was, uh, mm -hmm. it was a great band. And uh, Steve's a real talented guy, of course. And but for some reason, he did not want to be Tiny Tim's uh, musical director that night. But we didn't even know before. Well, he might have known, but he sprung this on me when we got there. He was like, "Oh, by the way, Tiny Tim is coming up tonight." I thought we were just going to play a bar gig, right? Uh, and Steve, you can correct me if uh, I'm telling any of this wrong. But this is my memory of it, anyway. Uh -huh. So uh, we play our we play our set, or maybe we had two sets, right? And during the break, we're all upstairs, and, and here comes Tiny Tim, and totally bizarre. He's like, 
got baby powder all over his face. It smells like baby powder. It was just really creepy, you know. And he's wearing this yeah. this weird suit. He was wearing a a white suit that had like drawn like cartoon buildings all over it, right? Uh, matching pants and jacket with a, a checkered flannel underneath as the shirt and suspenders. So uh, wow. he's like, okay, so I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say, and here's another song from the fabulous 40s, <laughs> you know, in the way that he does. And uh, we rehearsed all these little tunes backstage. I, I, we didn't do Tip to the Tiptoe Through the Tulips, which I had hoped because I remember that from the radio when I was a kid. You didn't? How no, we didn't do, do it. Do I, I don't know what we did. We did like, you know, because I used to play with my mom, I knew all right. these songs. They were all jazz right. standards, you know, they were like Hoagie Carmichael or whatever, or, or you know, I don't know, songs maybe Sinatra did at one point, or big band stuff, or um, right. you know, the 40s stuff. But I knew the songs. It was not like he threw anything at me that I didn't know, which was weird, because I would figure- But how would... about the rest of it? Uh, Postel is saying that he thinks that Tiny's band didn't show up, and that's why you guys- Oh, is that why? Okay. So it was Michael okay. Jude on bass, and I don't remember who was on drums, John Michelle, maybe, or, or maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe it was Bobby Schnard. I don't think it was Bobby though. Um, and uh, I remember at one point, so we're doing the Tiny Tim set. It was like three or four tunes, right? a little mini set. And at one point he takes off that matching suit jacket and he's just got this flannel that's like, billowing out because it's tucked into the pants, you know, with the suspenders and it's just like totally bizarre looking. And he lays down on the floor in the mid song and starts doing the worm, you know, like <laughs> all over the floor while he's singing. I'm like, somebody take a fucking movie. Of this. this is oh, Dan the most- Hickey was the drummer he sang, by the way. What's that? Dan Hickey was the drummer. Oh, Hickey was uh, the drummer. Oh God, is, is Hickey, tuned in on this or is it uh, he might be he's, oh. he's usually around i don't know if maybe he'll talk um yeah so that's my memory of it and uh yeah it was just <laughs> bizarre world you know? but uh i i love postel's new band the immediate family oh, oh yeah hell yeah yeah steve with was the last one. yeah they're on and, and and yeah. lee and yeah russ yeah russ, they're fabulous yeah. They're fabulous. So, Steve, it seems to me that just as with Postel, where and Lee and for all of them, it's kind of their dream to have their own band, like their Beatles, their stuff, like their band. That's the band, and it's them, right? They're not backing up James T or somebody else. It's their mm -hmm. thing, and it seems to me that you've backed up and a lot of people and had you know who have a lot of success but as far as i'm concerned the best music you've ever made is your own oh, and um and the fact that you have all these coolest songs in the world i think is proof of it that your songwriting and you're singing you're playing and and it seems i think the best is yet to come for you I, I believe that. Well, um, I would like to think so too. And if not, somebody shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, you like to think that, uh, I mean, I really think this latest record of mine, uh, if y'all have heard out there in, in Facebook land or wherever we're being broadcast right now, have heard Recovery Doll, my new single on Wicked Cool Records. Um, that's great. It's a one eleventh of my new album, which is coming in the fall. There's a full out, full length album coming on Wicked Cool Records, eleven songs. Um, you have the next single picked out. Is it rock? Is it rock and roll queen? No, that's just a B side. That's a demo of uh, rock and roll queen was on my 2014 Steve County NYC album, um, and this is the that's the original demo of it that's on the B side of the. Uh -huh. the vinyl hold on hold on i just happen to have right here in my hot little hand you see i i love it and wait the the disc itself is like uh it's is glow it in the dark green um <laughs> i can it's fantastic uh, you see yeah it's great that, it's that's the b rock. side rock and ride queen i see a side and uh i'm not going to rip this open because yeah, someone's ordering this but um yeah, if people want the, the, the assigned copy, I send them out, sign them and send them out from home. Uh, otherwise, uh, and you can write me at info at stevecountynyc.com and find out. I'll put um, that in the liner notes. Yeah, how much, uh, depending on how many copies you want and where it's being shipped to. Prices vary, so I can't really, I mean, basically the record is 15 bucks signed USD, US dollars. But then depending on how many copies and the weight and the shipping and where it's going in the world, you know. So people have to write me at Steve info at Steve Cunty NYC. Otherwise, they can buy the they can buy the single right from Wicked Cool Records on Bandcamp or Wicked Cool Records website, but it won't be signed by me. Um, okay. and they can also buy the digital download there at Bandcamp or uh, on the Orchard or any of those sites, iTunes and but I'm excited about the full length. Where I was going with that is, um, you know, you always like to think that, you know, you're making a really good record. And, you know, I knew I was making a good record with this one that's coming, um, which I can't tell you the title yet. But um, uh, my wife, and, and she's not very, uh, um, she's not a huge like rocker, you know. She loves world music and you know French music how, how and African guys, music. How did you guys meet? Um, I'll tell you in a second. Okay. She she volunteered. See, this is your best record ever. And she used to love linoleum. That was my her favorite record of mine, Crown Jewels Linoleum. Right. And so, if my wife says this is my best record, I'll take it. Because that. she's a real layman, you know, like uh, um, she doesn't know from, you know, uh, musicianship or, you know, she just knows when she gets a feeling, you know, when it when it hits her with a feeling or when when a melody is, is catchy and sticks in her head or, you know, when it makes her feel something or it's emotional or, you know, so um, you don't have to shoot me yet. Good. Is is there is there another is there another song from the new album that you can play to take us out? No, no, okay. I can't because uh, the next single will come in August, and then there's another one in 
in the fall, and then there's another one in the fall, and and then yeah, the full length comes after that. But Stephen Van Zant picked all the singles, um, wow. which is uh, you know, it's nice. He he handpicks you know everyone for his label for his radio show. So you know, I'm, I'm honored to be uh, on Absolutely. that short list of people who he digs. You know, what's the video that you shot today? What was that for? Uh, that's for a different song. Okay, it's not for recovery. I actually have a video for Recovery Doll that's finished, okay. but um, I'm saving that until later. Okay. Um, but uh, by the fall, I will have three videos done, possibly, maybe more. But um, I want to try and do as many videos as I can. Um, I met my wife at a Willie DeVille show. I was touring with Willie DeVille in, in Holland uh, in 2003, and uh, she happened to come to the show, and boom. <laughs> yeah. Well, she had never she had never dated a musician in her life, and uh, and uh, so that was that was the hook for me. Like, really, you never dated a musician? Come on. Well, I think you celebrated 16 years. 16 years marriage. Congratulations! Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you. Steve, it's always, a, will you, will you play one more for us? I don't care what it is. I have a couple favorites. Give me Rockaway is one of my favorites. I don't know if you can just whip that one out, but boy, I'd love to hear it. Oh boy. Oh boy. Let's see. I don't know if I can play the solo. <laughs> I haven't right. played it in a long time. I'll play, I'll just play a different solo. So don't expect this to sound like the record. Okay, here we go. Okay. Ted Bay in the song. Move over when you hear the siren, and then we pray. a kick-ass song oh my god it's Thank just you. great it's just a great song it's a great song i love your music i love you 
Thank right. you for doing this. It was great to see you again. Uh, good luck with everything you're doing with your kids. I look forward to seeing your son out there. Uh, how too. fun is that? And uh, stay safe, stay happy. And um, okay, give us one more how people can find the music. I'm going to put it in the liner notes. Too. Okay. Um, so stevecountynyc.com is my website. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Steve County NYC on Facebook. On Twitter, it's either Steve County NYC or Steve County. I can't remember which. Instagram, Facebook, um, all the usual suspects. Uh, okay. Tumblr, what else? Um, did I miss something? I don't know. Uh, and if you want that single signed, info at Steve County NYC is Except mine. I read something today that today was the last day you're going to do oh, it. Oh, you know what? Yes. Well, thank you. Hello. For Hello. Thank you for telling me my business. Yes. Uh, that's right. Because uh, I'm getting ready to take a little breather for the summer. I just sold out about half of the records that I have. There's only, it's a limited edition. There were only 500 copies of the single printed and uh, Wicked Cool has half of them, the label, and they sent me half. And I've sold about half of mine. So when I come back from the summer, I'll sell the other half or I'll sell them at gigs. So um, so people can't get an autograph anymore. They're done. Well, right now, just okay. for the next six weeks. Okay. And then I'll resume after I take a little summer holiday. All right. Well, enjoy your holiday. Um, Well-deserved. Thank you so much. Great to see you. My pleasure. Anytime. And, uh, and uh, yes. Another time. We'll do it again. Take care, Steve. Thanks. Okay. Bye, babe.